the only time I had a little bit of a craving, and it was kind of funny, like, um, I, I passed a bag of marshmallows that somebody littered. <laughs> and when I saw that bag of marshmallows, like, I hate marshmallows. And when I saw that, I was like, ooh, I could eat that right now. And like, so I had a little bit of a craving when I saw a bag of marshmallows on the side of the road. Hey guys, welcome to the Christian Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Morgan. In this show, I talk to Michael McKnight, who just ran 100 miles without consuming any calories. It's a really cool chat. I really enjoyed it. Hope you guys enjoy it too. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. So how are you feeling? Yeah, I, I, um, that's probably the weirdest thing about this whole experience is how good I feel after doing it. Um, I usually take about five to seven days off after a hundred miles, but you know, I finished this on Saturday morning and it's, I started running again on Tuesday. Uh, inflammation is down, legs feel fresh. Um, like it's just weird. I feel really good for some reason. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how your, um, diet played a part and a role in allowing you to run so far without consuming calories? So I, I follow a, a low carb diet, um, like mainstream, it's called keto, primal blueprint, um, a mix of paleo, a mix of carnivore. Basically the whole concept of it is lower carb and higher fat and higher protein um, with limiting as much processed foods as possible. So it's a whole foods diet. Whole food um, diet, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but lower carb. Um, <clears throat> and the reason being is, you know, for years mainstream, has always been preaching carb load um, for yeah. runners that before run you go have a heavy pasta meal, get some breads and carb load so that you can have a bunch of glycogen to burn off for your race. Um, but you know, the science behind that shows that our glycogen storage is actually pretty small. Um, and we're probably, our storage is probably already topped off before we carb load. So essentially we're just eating a bunch of food that's getting converted to fat. So it's doing us no good. Um, and so the whole idea of the keto diet, low carb diet is basically all of us, we have a large storage of fat that we hardly ever tap into just because glycogen is easier to burn. We're always eating carbs. So we're always just replenishing our glycogen storage and our body hardly ever gets over to the fat side of things. Yeah. And so keto diet, the, the point is to limit your carb intake and, and deplete your glycogen storage. And to get your body into a state of ketosis um, quite often and to get your body used to burning fat. And so the benefit with that is come race day, you know, you, you hear people like when you ask somebody who's done a marathon, like how their marathon went, a lot of times more often than not, you'll hear them say that they felt great till mile 18 and they felt like death. They hit a wall. <laughs> <laughs> they had to walk for four miles. And then all of a sudden they felt good again and they were able to finish on a high. And so what happened is they depleted their glycogen storage. Their body freaked out because, you know, it thinks it doesn't have any more fuel to burn. So they feel so tired and sluggish. And then when they hit that second wind, their body found the large amount of fat storage and started using that for fuel. And so by following a ketogenic diet, like anybody that would typically follow that as an endurance athlete is doing that with the hopes of limiting um, bonking. Yeah. You essentially become bonk proof just because you become so efficient at burning fat and that you, you have that storage to last you for your whole race. So, so I've been doing that for about three years now and you know, I, I've never bonked since doing it. I've had occasional gut issues, but that's just because 
you know, there's a little bit of science behind it. You have to increase your salt intake because you dump more salt when you're on a ketogenic diet. So any gut issues I've had is just because I've been trying to figure out the diet a little bit more. Um, but, you know, once you get it figured out, you essentially don't have GI issues and then you don't bonk anymore. So it, it's kind of amazing once you figure it out. What, what is it that actually um, pointed you in this direction? Um, because I actually had a little bit, uh, I think you talked on a podcast before and you did mention you severely suffered from gut issues. So was that anything to do with your uh, reason for changing over to this particular type of diet? Yeah. So when I started ultra running, I was about 190 pounds, which is on what, the bigger side. What's your height, by the way, to put that in perspective? Six one. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not overweight, but you know, like you have Jim Walmsley, he and I are about the same height and I have a hundred fifty five hundred and So it's not overweight, but it was bigger for a runner. Um, so I find myself in this cycle where <clears throat> I would try to eat the amount of calories that I needed to, to have a sustainable amount of energy to finish my race. But my body just had a hard time processing and digesting um, that food. So I would start getting stomach issues. I'd start puking. Um, and, then, and is this during like your ultras that you were doing as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was training runs, it was races, it was all of it. I was having stomach issues. And then I would come to my next race and I didn't want stomach issues, so I'd limit my calorie intake. Yeah. And I didn't really have stomach issues, but I ended up bonking because I wasn't getting as much calories. So I was either puking or I was either low on energy <laughs> and I just wasn't having a good experience. And so you know, I I didn't know a lot of about nutrition at the time so I wasn't like actively looking into it to figure out what I could do to fix it it just so happened to be at the time that <clears throat> I was the um I was in marketing I was the athlete manager for ultra footwear um at the time and we had an athlete summit in Zion Utah where we flew in a large majority of our athletes to Salt Lake City we rented vans and drove them all to Zion for a few days awesome and the van that I had I had Jeff Browning in it with me and he was in the front seat with me even more awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so anybody that knows jeff typically knows that he's a fat adapted athlete and he talks a lot about fat adaptation and the benefits of it and i didn't know that i didn't know much about him but you know one question led to another and before i knew it the whole four-hour drive down to zion he was telling me the science behind fat adaptation and keto and like you know, he mentioned bonk proof. He mentioned that you don't have to eat as much and that you have less GI stress and all of that really stuck with me. So we got home from the athlete summit and it was like two or three days later after looking up like what foods you're supposed to eat on a keto diet. I, I just tackled it and went all in and I've been doing it ever since. So when was that um, van trip together with uh, Go Bronco Billy? It was April of 2017. So three years. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like the first year, year and a half, there's, and like, even now there's still so much. I talked to Bronco. He's my, he's, he's my, actually my coach. So we have messages changing. We call each other every couple of weeks. So I still have a lot of questions about the science behind it, but like the first year and a half, there's so much I didn't know. And it just, like, there's a lot of small details that you got to figure out to, to really use it as a tool. So 
it took a lot of learning, but I'd say I've been pretty strict with it for about the past year now. How long have you been ultra running and how did you get into ultra running? So I've been ultra running for seven years. I started in 2013 and my introduction to ultra running was kind of an odder one. Um, I didn't run in high school. Well, I, I did run track in high school, but that's because they made us in football. I was more doing football. Yeah. Um, that's but anyway. Football. Yeah. Yeah. American football. <laughs> um, so that was in high school. I didn't really care for running. And it was when I turned 21, when I just started to do it to get in shape. Um, and I did a half marathon and really enjoyed it. And then I, the, the goal was to start like getting into 5Ks and 10Ks competitively. But I ended up breaking my back in a skiing accident shortly after I got into running. And I had back surgery. I had some hardware put in my back. Um, the doctor told me that I should drop out of college. I lost my job and he said I'd be in bed for basically a year. But long story short, my recovery process was a miracle. Basically, I started running three weeks later. Um, I felt basically healed within a couple months later. And since I didn't have school or a job, I just started running a lot every day. And just went up to 10 miles, went to 15 miles, and somebody told me about ultra running, so I researched it and found a local ultra and did it and fell in love with it. So who was that person who told you about ultra? His name's he's a local runner here in northern Utah named Cody Draper. Okay, and and did, and you'd not heard about ultra before Cody had spoke about it. So like someone's like, you like running? It's Cody, you guys should meet. And then I was like hey there's a 10k this and he he said well i typically don't do a race that's under a marathon so no thanks <laughs> and i didn't know that anything over a marathon existed so he's the one that kind of explained to me he was training for a 50 mile race the next weekend and he was signed up for a local 100 miler a few <laughs> months after that <laughs> so he, he's the one that opened my eyes to it all right so it's all down to cody then right <laughs> yep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And we actually, we live a mile apart from each other now. So we, we do a lot of trail running together. <laughs> so give us a, an idea of what it's like where you live, your training ground. Are you close to mountains or is it flat, a um, lot of roads? I mean, what's your training ground look like? So um, it has all of it. We, I live in a small valley called Cache Valley, Utah. Um, it's made up of like 20 small cities and towns. But like the actual, so the, the fastest 100 miler that I did um, was a big loop out my front door and finished at my front door. And it was around this valley um, and it essentially covered the whole valley. So, you know, 100 miles in, in a big circle is about the size of the valley. Wow. Um, one loop, the 100, the 100 fasted 100 miles was just one loop. Yep. And it was all around this valley. So is it is it the base of the mountains that surround us? So the valley is essentially 100 miles in diameter. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're surrounded by mountains. Like, you know, we just built a house. We're um, 20 feet from a trailhead that leads, and that trailhead connects to like 20 other trails. Like all the trails in this valley connect. And if I wanted to, I could go for a 100 mile trail run out my front door, just connecting everything. <laughs> and so, I. I I either read or heard about you actually changing your job and downsizing your house to actually be happier, to actually be closer to um, a place that you were inspired about. Yep. 
you know, I grew up in this valley. This is the home of Ultra Footwear. Um, this is where basically where they started and where the company has been since the beginning. Um, and then the company was sold a couple of years ago to VF Corp, who relocated Ultra to Denver. So last summer, um, Ultra moved to Denver. Me and my family moved to Denver for the job, and we were only there for like two months before we knew it wasn't for us. So, you know, I was with Ultra for four years, quit, gave them my two weeks, came back here without a job. We built a house. It, it is smaller, but it's right at the base of the mountains and just kind of gave us the opportunity to do what we love. So how does that work when you say built a house? I mean, you, you guys what does that look like <laughs> well i didn't physically build it we like you know we designed it and had a, a company build it for us <laughs> is, it, is it like one level or if you got upstairs downstairs or it it's um it's a main level house with an unfinished basement oh, okay yeah you guys designed it and and the builders just went to work and built this house for you guys yeah yeah and my my parents live um about 10 minutes from here so you know, we quit my job at Ultra and we moved back and lived with my parents in their basement until this house was done. And, you know, our house in Denver, we still owned it, but we just weren't there. So we were just kind of in this limbo stage for a while until this house got built and until we sold our house in Denver. So it was worth the wait then. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's chat about this 100 you did. I, I've got a couple of questions. Like, did you take on water and salts or any kind of electrolytes? Because uh, I know it was zero calories. So what did you consume, including liquids? So yeah, I had a bunch of water. And the nice thing, like I said, it was just around this valley. So my wife could meet me and refill my water whenever I needed it. Um, the route went by my sister's house. It went by my parents' house. So I could stop at their house to fill up the water. So I was drinking water. And then the original goal was to consume S caps, succeed caps. Um, yeah. You know, it's just a pill that has salt and magnesium in it, but I was talking to Gober Uncle Billy about it. And he pointed out that the capsule itself has a trace amount of calories in it. Okay. So I wanted to be like a true zero calorie 100. I should find a different um, way to get my electrolytes. So what I ended up doing was just buying some Redmond Real Salt, um, a bag of magnesium citrate and a bag of potassium citrate. And I put a little bit in their own Ziploc baggies, put it in my vest, and then every hour to two hours, I would lick my finger and then stick in the baggies. And then whatever stuck to my finger, I would just suck off of my finger and then wash it down with water. <laughs> That's just the best kind of way to do it. You know, you talk about whole foods, you know, no plastic capsules or whatever it is. What's the furthest you had run without calories before you ran 100 miles without calories? 50K. And did you feel strong, uh, good about that experience? Yeah, so ever since going keto, um, I've done all of my training runs fasted. Well, I've done like 90 to 95% of my training runs fasted, including my long runs. So I've never done like a race fasted before, but you know, on Saturday I'll go from anywhere from a 20 mile to a 35 mile run. And I 95% of the time that's fasted. And every time, like I feel good, I finish, I feel like I could still keep going fasted. Um, so that's kind of what started making me wonder how far somebody could actually go in a fasted state. And the, the thing that really got me curious about it is when I started, um, experimenting with keto 
there's a there's two doctors named doctors Jeff Volick and Stephen Finney who have some good research on keto fat adaptation in endurance athletes. And Jeff Volick in a couple of his lectures points out how even the thinnest athlete, somebody with 7% body fat has enough fat storage to last them for days. Um, and it, if you do even more research, you hear about people like Killian Journey. He, he even just said he does this, but there's people that go like five days in a fasted state um, a couple times a year for their own purposes. It sounds crazy and terrible, but you know, there's enough fat storage to last you for five days without food. And so I wondered what that correlated to in terms of physical activity, where I don't think you could go running for five days without calories, but I wondered like what that window shortened to if you went for a run in a fasted state. And so I decided with the whole COVID thing happening and races being canceled, I decided to pick a date and see if a hundred miles was a possibility. And to, to my surprise, it was. And so how long had you had this particular idea of, you know, no calories, 100 miles? Only like three months ago, like specifically a hundred miles. It was about three months ago. Um, I've always wondered how far I could go. Like the, the general question has been in my mind for a couple of years but then when I narrowed it down to like a hundred miles, that was, that was about a couple of months ago. And was there something that inspired you or sparked this kind of initial idea of, is it possible for this distance? Just conceived it like a hundred miles is kind of that distance that a lot of ultra runners aim for. And so I, I just wondered if a hundred miles was a possibility um, since, since yeah. that's just kind of a general distance that everybody shoots for. <laughs> I've got to admit, I was listening to a podcast with Tim Noakes. Have you heard of the professor? And uh, he said that, yeah, you you can run 100 miles without consuming any calories. And I thought there's no way, you know, I thought it's impossible. And I think that's what inspired me to get in contact with you, that I really believe that you've you've broken a boundary and a myth and you really have tapped into something that I think most people, I don't know how many people, but I'm sure a lot of people thought this was impossible. Did you, uh, what's the history of this? Is, has anybody done this before? So Bronco has a, another person he coaches who's tried it twice and he made it to 75 miles both times. Um, so aside from that, like the only thing that I was able to find that like relatively correlates is there is a guy and Davy Crockett, he talks about him in his podcast, but it was quite a while ago. There's a guy named the Hungry Hiker. Okay. And he, he wanted to do some event for charity where basically he wanted to hike a thousand miles with zero calories. <laughs> and so, you know, he didn't run any of it. He hiked and he didn't end up making the thousand miles, but he did make it a few days and and he did make it over a hundred miles. So that was that was the thing that I could find close enough that and and, what, and when was that was that this this century last century or oh it was a while ago okay yeah <laughs> like the picture of him like it wasn't even a real picture it was like one of those like cartoony pictures that you see like in medieval times almost <laughs> so you're the first modern day ultra marathon runner to run 100 miles without any calories that i know of it could yeah. have been done but i could find yeah did what were pe- what was people's response you know when you said oh i have an idea <laughs> you know um, yeah <laughs> I, 
I mean, who did you tell first? So, I mean, <clears throat> and I guess I'll lump this into the people who, like, agree. I'll lump this into, like, now that I've done it as well. Um, but I, I think there's three different groups of people. <laughs> um, there's the ones that, like, think it's amazing and cool. And there's the group that's like, okay, yeah, the science has always been there. And we've always theoretically said that this is possible. And then there's the group that... Um, think it's reckless and (laughs) criticizing me saying that it's like a form of malnutrition that it's an eating disorder and that it's just stupid so fortunately there hasn't been a lot of that it's been more compliments and 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 a lot of good feedback (laughs) so when you finished this hundred mile run without calories what was what did you do i mean i i saw you on your video your facebook video you go up your drive and there's one person there i think yeah, yeah, my wife. Yeah, your wife's there. I think maybe the is there a dog? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, my running buddy, my my dog Kona. Yeah, and you just come up and that's it. You know, you you finish, you've accomplished this kind of uh, human feat, which is deemed impossible. I mean, what did you do in the next kind of hour or two? <laughs> well, so it was twelve. It was just after midnight my time. Um, so I ended up coming in. I showered. I drank a protein shake. And then I tried to sleep, but my body was in quite a bit of pain, so I wasn't able to sleep at all. And, and I don't, I don't think that's because it was from running with zero calories. I think that was because I ran seventy miles of road. I'm a trail runner. Yeah. So, so you know, it wrecked my body a little bit. But I mean, it was just it was pretty uneventful. Like you know, my wife drew a chalk finish line for me on the driveway, and. <laughs> We just went to bed and woke up the next day and we have two kids that we had to take care of and it was just life life was back to normal again pretty quickly (laughs) the the biggest thing that's been weird though since this is i thought like usually after 100 miles i'm pretty ravenous like i eat all the time like especially the first week after 100 miles i'm just so hungry but for some weird reason this time around i'm not super hungry like i basically I've been eating a meal a day and I've forced myself to eat that meal. Like for some weird reason, my appetite's gone and I can't figure that one out. Yeah. What, 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 when you say a meal a day, like literally just one meal a day or. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's that consist of? Is it, what, what's it look like? Um, I mean, yesterday though, I mean, it was a, I guess this would be kind of big, but I mean like yesterday, the meal that I ate was a dozen eggs. <laughs> A dozen eggs. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, I forced myself to eat that. Like if I, like, I know that protein and food is essential for recovery. Yeah. Um, So if I didn't care about that, then I just wouldn't be eating right now because I'm not hungry. You didn't like put it in a blender and drink it like Rocky. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, they were all scrambled. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's good. I'm pleased to hear. So did you yeah. get any blisters or did your knees ache or your hips? I mean, what, what um, problems did you encounter along the way? So in, the, in that sense, everything was pretty uneventful. <laughs> um, yeah. no, no blisters, um, you know, no chafing, no, like I didn't have any crashes. I didn't have any moments where I thought I would not finish. And I was just kind of like this, like, get it done state and then just kind of chugged along all day and 
I mean, my feet's fine. Like no, no cramping. Like every, and I think that's why I can start running it. running again so soon after is just because I had no issues from it. Um, everything just kind of strangely went perfect. Break it down. Uh, what did you go through mentally? The first 30 miles were, was basically the only trail uh, section of the course and the rest was road. So the first 30 miles, I was just enjoying it because I love trail running, um, enjoying the views, taking videos and stuff. And then, you know, coincidentally enough, once I hit mile 30, I was done with my favorite terrain. Then I was also at the point where basically I had reached the furthest I'd gone previously um, yeah. in a fasted state. So everything forward was kind of unknown for me. So from mile 30 to like mile 90, I just kept having this nagging thought in my head, like, because Jeff Browning, my coach, um, basically he kind of warned me that if I went too fast, that I would go into muscle failure. Into yes, mu- muscle failure. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the concept of this is fat adaptation in your body, converting fat for energy, but there will be a point he said, especially if you go too hard, where your body will start cannibalizing its muscle. Mm-hmm. So if I go too hard and I cannibalize too much of my muscle, then I'll go into muscle failure. So, you know, that term kind of scared me and I didn't know like if I'd just be running and then all of a sudden my body would seize up and I'd fall over and couldn't move. So, so when I hit that unknown territory after mile 30, I had that in my head for a lot of it, wondering if that was going to slowly happen or if it would suddenly happen. Um, but aside from that, like, you know, the nice thing, like I said about this course, I got to see my sister's house. So I saw my nieces and nephews. Um, I had a Garmin tracker with me that people could follow along. And I guess like, I didn't know this when I designed the route, but I went by like a couple of my high school teachers houses and they watched for me. And when they saw me get close, they waited for me on the corner and said, hi. So there was a lot of people that, <clears throat> that has been a part of my life for quite a while that was out there to say hi and cheer me on. So that preoccupied my mind for a lot of it. And I also had a lot of friends pace me just because in case I seized and fell over, I wanted somebody to be there to help me. I didn't want to put myself in any kind of danger. So between having friends and family meet me and say hi, and between having friends and family pace me, and then just between worrying if I was going to fall over, those were kind of the three main things that were preoccupying my mind. So damn, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you scared me. (laughs) Dead Michael. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I suppose that's the only thing to fear is fear itself kind of um, quote. Yeah. And I mean, like, usually, like, I'd say almost every 100 mile race, I have a moment where it's like a dark space. And like, I'm like, okay, I might not finish this. Or I don't even know if I want to finish this. But this thing that never happened. And I never doubted it. I never, never thought that that was a possibility. Like I just, I felt, I felt good for all of it, which is really weird. <laughs> I know from personal experience, when I achieve something, it kind of opens up a door which was closed uh, mentally, you could say. And then my um, horizons are a lot more vast. So, how do you feel now? You've achieved something that probably you thought was possible, but a lot of people thought was impossible. Um, how do you, do you feel like you've unlocked some certain potential inside of you that now you're going to pursue further? Yeah, definitely. Like 
like I said, some people are, you know, saying theoretically, we've always said that this is possible. And I understand that. But if, if anybody's anything like me, like theory doesn't mean a whole lot. And so the fact that it's actually been done now, like, makes me wonder with my own training and my own racing, like, how much food needs to be like an important aspect of my racing. Like, I'm not, I don't, unless like I'm, unless like this becomes like, for example, like a, a world record um, category, like I, I'm never going to do a race 100% fasted. Um, but this ha does have me questioning, like, you know, last year I did those three 200 mile races. Yeah. And there's quite a few times when I was like, okay, <clears throat> I think it's been like two and a half hours since I last ate something. And I was like, okay, well, theoretically I should eat something, but I don't really feel like it, but I would do it anyway. And I just felt kind of blah for a little bit. My stomach felt blah. And so now that I've done this, like I have a lot more confidence in like, just eat when you feel like you need to eat. Like you don't need to force it if you don't feel like eating it. So I think that's the biggest thing that this is going to do for me moving forward. During this hundred, did you feel like you needed to eat? <laughs> no. <laughs> The, the only time I had a little bit of a craving and it was kind of funny, like um, I, I passed a bag of marshmallows that somebody littered. <laughs> and when I saw that bag of marshmallows, like I hate marshmallows. And when I saw that, I was like, Ooh, I could eat that right now. And like, so I had a little bit of a craving when I saw a bag of marshmallows on the side of the road. But aside from that, I didn't have any hunger pains or, or feel like I needed to eat. That's crazy, man. You know, but yeah. uh, <laughs> geez. I mean, in, in theory, it makes sense just because if you're tapped into your fat storage, like, you know, your body's getting the fuel it needs. So what's next year looking like for you? No, I don't think I'll do the triple crown again for a while. I do want to enter into tour de gents sometime. Yeah. Um, so I'll probably enter tour de gents. This year I'm in for Badwater, which hasn't been canceled yet. Um, if it is canceled, I would assume there'd be some kind of rollover or opportunity for people who are in it this year to do it next year. So if it's canceled, I'm, I'm sure I'll do bad water next year. Yeah. Um, and then me and Jeff Browning, we were talking this morning, um, kind of about what, what I just did over the weekend and, and, um, if bad, bad water does get canceled, then we're probably going to talk a little bit to goo because they have like a mobile lab, like a testing facility. Yeah. So there's a good chance I'll probably do this again later this year or something similar to it. Like how far I can go in 24 hours or just how far I can go before I feel I can't go anymore in a fasted state and, and see if we'll have goo on board to do some before, during and after testing and, and see exactly what's going on with my ketone levels and my fat burning and all of that. Just make sure no one drops any marshmallows on the floor. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's a so, steak, then I'll be in real trouble. <laughs> oh, someone dropped a T-bone. Yeah. <laughs> Hold me back. Yeah. Uh, Tour of Giants. I've done that one. That's a great race. You have? Yeah. It looks amazing. When did you do it? 2017 nice yeah yeah so it's pretty epic um the people are so supportive the italians it's uh and the elevation gains insane and what's your sleep pattern look like actually in day-to-day -day life yeah i'm not a good sleeper <laughs> um 
I wake up every hour and then I like, it takes me like 10 minutes to fall back asleep. Um, I've just never been a good sleeper. So in those two hundreds I did last year, like as each race went on, I just progressively tried, I stopped trying to sleep because I would try to sleep, but I just couldn't sleep. So, so I, I think I have the sleep deprivation down, but in no like preparation of my own, I'm just a terrible sleeper. Has that, <laughs> that always might be been the same since you were like teenager or? Yeah. yeah, it might be because I grew up on a dairy farm. So most of my childhood I spent waking up at 2 a.m. and milking the cows. So maybe I just had so many years of being awake during that time that I just don't like sleeping at that time anymore. So who knows? <laughs> Well, I think it worked to your advantage for sure, you know, especially yeah. uh, 200 milers. Use yeah. what you hate to your advantage, right? You know, when you say fat adapted, can I ask you about, I mean, we're talking about uh, fats from animal um, animal fats or like avocado, nuts and seeds. How does it look like? All of it. Yeah. Um, and my, so like a true ketogenic diet, um, you have to watch your meat intake. Because if you overeat protein, your body converts the excess amount of protein into glycogen. Okay. So a true ketogenic diet, you have to watch your meat intake. But in terms of like an athlete, um, you know, protein is your friend. So if you like, you know, go Bronco Billy, Zach Bitter, myself, and most keto athletes I know that who are ultra runners don't really watch the meat intake just because, you know, if it gets converted to glycogen, then you can just use that in your run the next day. <laughs> so most of, most of the fats I get are from animal byproducts. Um, you know, it's a mix of keto and carnivore. Um, but yeah, we, we do eat avocados. We do eat nuts. We do eat like olive oil, coconut oil. Um, just, just all the good kind of fats. Um, and, is getting... and are you after more like cleaner meats, like, free range or um, organic or these kind of um, meat products. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about where I live. It's um, it's the dairy farmer community. And so I still have a lot of friends that own dairy farms. So, you know, we have a deep freezer and we'll buy a quarter to a half of a cow from a local dairy farmer. That's good grass fed beef. So we live in a good area for that kind of access. Yeah, it's crazy what a difference the meat is, the quality of meat. Like the biggest thing I've noticed is the color. Like if yeah. you were to buy like some ground beef from like your local super supermarket and it was just like a factory raised farm cow, like the the ground beef is like almost pink. Whereas yeah. if you like a good free range like grass fed cow, like it's a really dark, colorful red. Like so the color is even different. It's it's, it's kind of crazy and cool. So typically I'd be eating a lot more meat than I am right now um, and a lot less eggs, <laughs> but eggs are like, for some reason, the only thing I can eat right now, like it's good protein and it's not, it doesn't feel heavy when I eat it. So I'm, I'm doing a lot more eggs right now and less meat just because that's what my stomach is wanting. Yeah. So you're just following the way you feel, following what yeah. you're kind of craving. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like the other thing with keto, like, um, <clears throat> it's used just as a tool for certain times of training. So like, you know, the cup first couple of days after my fasted 100, I had a lot of red meat and I was almost like carnivore where I was only eating meat. And that was just to reduce inflammation. Um, and I, and I know there's like conflicting studies out there saying that meat contributes to 
inflammation, but a lot of those studies don't discredit processed meats. Um, so anyway, I've noticed in my own personal experience that those studies are false. The, the more meat I eat, the less inflamed I am. So the first two days after this, I had a lot of meat um, just to reduce inflammation. And then once I got out of that window um, where the opportunity to be inflamed was a little bit higher, I started reintroducing a little bit more carbs. So like right now, like, you know, I, I really am just going to do what my body feels like. Like I had sushi for dinner um, the other day. So I had a little bit of rice and I typically don't eat rice. So I do believe in listening to your body. Um, but I do believe too that there are opportune times when you should capitalize on foods that don't cause inflammation so that's what i did and now i'll, I'll listen to my body and eat what it wants yeah I, it makes sense you know listening to your body and and tuning in and if you're doing a 200 miler when you are eating during a race what are you eating a lot of fruit is what i do <laughs> um so I I'm sponsored by a company called gnarly. Um, they have like, they have proteins, they have branch chain amino acids. They have a lot of good recovery foods right now. The only thing they have for during race is electrolytes and there's not a lot of calories in it. So during those two hundreds, I would take their electrolytes and mix it in apple juice and grape juice. And so in my actual vest, I had some water, I had some apple juice and grape juice with electrolytes mixed in. So I drink a lot of juice. Um, and I'd have watermelon at the aid stains. I'd have banana. I'd have freeze dried with me. And then I'd have a potato dipped in salt or an occasional potato chip. So some okay. potatoes, but mostly fruit based is what I stick with. Yeah. So you, you stay away from um, like the junk food, like the cho little M&Ms, for example. Or I'll do dark chocolate during the race and slight. Like, like those kind of candies or something, I'll have like my own alternative to that if I feel like it. Um, so instead of M&Ms, I'll have dark chocolate instead of like... And how about your wife? Is she, does she have a similar diet or you, do, you, do your children kind of follow any kind of similar diet or are they unique to you? It's just unique to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. For dinner, I'll cook some roast. Um, some kind of steak my wife will eat that with me and then you know if she feels like having a potato or some rice or anything like that or some chili she'll make her own side um, so we make it work but like we typically have the same meat together and then if she wants extra she'll just cook herself some extra do you ever have any alcohol nope just water yeah yeah, yeah. I guess some people would say it's boring <laughs> I try to limit my caffeine intake um, just because like, you know, for those 200 mile races, I would take caffeine at night. So I, I use caffeine as a tool. So I, my theory is that the less I have caffeine in my day to day, the more caffeine will help me in the middle of the night in the middle of a race. Yeah. Have you got your eyes on anything like outside of ultra organized races? I know you said about, uh, working with Gulabs maybe and doing some experiment, but any FKTs because they're quite popular now also. Um, well, I typically have had a full-time job up to this point, so I've never thought of anything like that just because I wouldn't have time to do it. But with COVID happening, I'm jobless. So, you know, maybe I will go find something to do right now. What advice would you have for people who maybe wanted to try something 
like what you're doing in terms of diet yeah in terms of uh, uh, someone who wanted to try what you're doing to uh, in, to include it with their running as well so a runner wanting to do something that you're doing so first of all i do believe that not one diet fits all that everybody's bodies are different um so i'm not gonna like try and preach this to everybody and say that this is for everybody i do think that there are aspects of it that are beneficial to everybody um like, you know, tapping into your fat storage and being efficient at fat burning would benefit every ultra runner. Um, you don't necessarily have to do it keto-ish. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there, there are different ways to tap into your fat storage, I'm sure. But so I, I don't feel like there's one diet fits all. But anybody that is interested in trying it, um, and this is usually my hardest question to answer in terms of like, condensing it just because there's so much to know about it and i'm always worried that i'm going to leave out some key information that will help somebody yeah (laughs) but but basically um there's different phases of fat adaptation um you should never you should never try it in the middle of a racing season just because there's there is an adapt adaptation period um essentially when you limit your carb intake, you put your body into that bonk that you experience in a race. You experience that like almost every day for a couple of weeks. You feel tired, you feel sluggish, your workout suffers. Um, I remember there was a time I was at the gym and I fell asleep in the middle of the bench press. <laughs> <laughs> like you just feel so tired, like legit, like that bonk feeling that you experience, like you feel that all the time. So if you do it like, just before a race is going to come like your your performance will suffer for that race so i recommend doing it in the winter um typically just because that's usually a good time when you're not racing so do it when you have a few months where you can take off from racing and then just like pick at it slowly so pick a food group that that you can eliminate for a couple of weeks so when i started it i eliminated breads and pastas um, and then like, I didn't watch how much, I didn't really watch my carb intake. I just eliminated one food group and then I just slowly eliminated more. So slowly attack it. Um, keep fruits and vegetables in your diet as you eliminate all the other stuff, the processed junk, the grains, the pastas. Um, and then once you get to a comfortable state where you're, you've weaned yourself off of those foods, then start worrying about your carb intake. Um, should be anywhere from 30 to 50 grams a day. Keep your workouts light and easy. Um, don't worry about like speed work or anything like that, but just give yourself this two to four week period where you can truly adapt to it. Um, and yeah, like. And, and do, you, do you use any particular method to record how many grams of carbs you're eating? Any app or anything you could recommend? No, I just ride it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, my fitness pal is a good one if you're into that though. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, like, and another question, is it possible for someone who's say vegan, um, or, you know, hundred percent plant-based to get fat adapted and try this out as well? It is. I've heard of people that do it. I think it's harder, but I know people of people that can, that have done it. I haven't done too much research on it just because that doesn't interest me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I know it's possible. Okay. So cut out the kind of processed, you know, the pastas, the breads, the, the flours and these kind of things, pastries, stick to yeah. the whole foods and then eventually bring down 
the high carb whole foods to try to get did you say 30 to 50 grams per day yeah yeah okay and how long would that period last for once you say hit your first 50 gram 30 to 50 gram day um it could last from three weeks to a couple of months really wow yeah for me it lasted a couple of months but you know for example like i didn't understand that when you go keto you your body dumps more salt than a typical person and so <clears throat> i wasn't supplementing salt when i started which kind of slowed my adaption period um so i would recommend people that do it that, to make sure they're supplementing salt drinking a couple teaspoons of salt water a day um it's nasty but it, it'll help you get through it quicker yeah. Um, so yeah, anywhere from two weeks to a couple of months usually is that adaptation period. And is there some kind of sign or some some uh, benchmark where you know, okay, I'm through this or or something? Is there a? You can go on a run and feel somewhat good. <laughs> okay, so after all the tiredness and the lethargy and falling asleep yeah. while you're doing bench press, <laughs> suddenly yeah. you're doing a run and you're like, hey, I actually feel good. So it's a feeling then. Yeah, it's basically like a marathon. Like, you know, you're feeling good. You decide to go keto. Then you hit that wall. You hit that bonk. You feel like death for a while. And then people in their marathon, they get a second wind and they're able to start going again. So you'll be able to feel when you kind of get that second wind and have tapped into your fat storage. And What's the next phase? Yeah, but just to like narrow it down, once you get through that phase, um, you can kind of start reintroducing carbs back into your diet. So a standard American diet, you're getting at least 350 grams of carbs a day. Um, so you're not going to reintroduce that amount of carbs into your diet really ever again if you're going to be strict with it. But like for example, when I'm in a high volume, like a high training period block, like if I'm getting like eight to probably 150 grams of carbs a day, and I try to time those carbs as close to post-workout as I can, so once you get through that adaptation period, um, you kind of stick with it for a couple of months just to get your body used to being in ketosis. And then you can start reintroducing those carbs back in. So go for a run, right when you finish with the run, have a bowl of berries or have an apple dipped in some almond butter. Um, if it was a really hard workout, you can have a sweet potato. Um, typically the, the carb sources that I'm getting my carbs from are fruits, vegetables, and sweet potatoes yeah. so you know just time time those carbs as close to your workout as you can and up those carbs based on how hard you're training but you know you don't need to stick to a true strict keto diet a hundred percent of the time because carbs do help with recovery yeah. um, and they do help with your performance so so yeah if I was to break it down, you have the two weeks to three to two months um, getting used to it, getting familiar with keto. And once you realize that you're in ketosis, stick to strict keto for another couple of months. And then after those couple of months where you're just used to being in ketosis, then start reintroducing a little bit of carbs back into your diet right after your runs. And the sign that you've hit ketosis is when you're not bonking uh, in your daily life or during training runs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because especially in the early phase, you should be doing all of your runs fasted. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll know if you're fat adapted and fasted when you can start doing your longer runs fasted and you feel good. It's pretty exciting because it's 
you know, the journey of the unknown and everyone can go on that journey. You know, all they got to do is just start cutting out those, like you said, cut out those processed carbs and then eventually lower it to that certain 30 to 50 and just see how you get on. So yep. knowing people had done this before you and having a coach like Jeff Browning um, and, and, and seeing what he had achieved gave you the uh, confidence that you could get through this phase because, you know, there were pioneers ahead of you who had been through it and done it. So you had that, okay, I'm just going to persist with this. I feel like crap, but I'm going to carry on. And one day I'm not going to bonk and I'll be in ketosis. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the fact that I did it um, early spring, late winter, I didn't have any races coming up. So I didn't really have any reason to not do it. So it's, it's just truly inspiring. I, re, I you know, I really, I, I've heard of people running a hundred miles. You know, I, I remember back in the day, I read Dean Karnazes book and I was blown away. And, and I think you've just upped the game again, you know, just running a hundred miles with no food, man, you know, and I know why you've done it now, you know, because you had gut issues before, you know, it's completely logical. It's not just some crazy publicity stunt or anything. It's, it's authentic, you know, it's 100% legitimate. And I, I'm truly inspired and impressed by you. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. And I think a lot of people out there will be. Have you, so I suppose we can bring it to an end. Have you, uh, just before you, like we stop this podcast, I'd just like to ask you about someone who's inspired you in your life and um, why have they inspired you? And, and, and it doesn't need to necessarily be an ultra runner. And you can take a little bit of time to think about that if you need to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, definitely my wife, um, you know, <clears throat> until actually like, you know, I haven't seen what she's gone through to have our two kids. Um, you know, just seeing what she puts her body through and, you know, seeing the care that she has for those kids and everything like that. Like, and I guess this is kind of like an umbrella term too for women in general, like, you know, really men have it easy. <laughs> and so, you know, just being married to my wife and seeing everything that she's gone through, through childbirth, through pregnancy and seeing what she does as a mother. And not only that, but just like, you know, the two times that I've done these three 200 months. So I did the triple crown of 200s in 2017 and 2019. And in 2017, she crewed me for all three of those races. And we just had our first son a couple months before. And so she was like, and we had a, a stupid, like dinky little Toyota Camry. <laughs> and yeah. she was crewing me in that. So like, I remember coming to one aid station and she wasn't there. And I was walking around and I found our car and I looked inside and she was like curled up in the ball in the driver's seat and our son was sleeping on the floor. Man. <laughs> so it's like she lived in a car for all those races with a newborn for me. And then this time around, she was pregnant with our second child. So, you know, she's just all around supportive and, you know, doesn't care how uncomfortable she is. So she, she she's just really taught me what it is to, to be a selfless person and to really care about other people. That's really nice. Well, I hope you play this back to her and she, you know, she hears this and like, yeah, I'm the one who inspires you. Any advice you can give to an aspiring um, runner? Yeah. The thing I always tell people is just to be consistent. Um, you know, <clears throat> you don't have to run X amount of miles every single day. Um, obviously it would be ideal for you to get to that point one day, but like starting out just 
just be consistent. So if you have five minutes one day to go for a run, go for a five minute run, just get your body used to setting a time aside each day to go out and get a run in. Um, and once you get used to that consistency, it will just kind of become a force of habit. It will become something that's a part of you and it will just be easier to slowly start adding more miles and time to that. So, so that's the biggest thing that I always tell people is just to be consistent and not to necessarily worry about the miles or the time when you start out. Yeah. Just get out regularly, like when you can and, and just keep at it. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, like I usually run at least two hours a day and like right now, like today, I only went out for an hour. Like, you know, I, I didn't feel like doing two hours. So just, you know, starting out, do what you feel like and, and just try to make it an everyday thing, but don't overdo it. Well, hey, listen, Michael, I'm going to I'm gonna stop record here, but stay on the line um, just so I can say bye to you in person. But hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to this first podcast. Uh, Christian Ultra here and uh, Michael McKnight signing off. And there you have it. Michael McKnight ran 100 miles, consuming zero calories. I really appreciate everyone listening. If you would like to follow my journey, check me out on my social media, which is Christian Ultra, spelt with a K, K R I S T I A N, Ultra, U L T R A. And that's across the board. That's Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and my website where you can find out about my online run coaching packages. Well, until the next time, happy trails.